Well, good morning, Thrive Church. Man, that was just a great experience. I just love to do that. And your wahoos, it was genuine and it was just life-giving. So thank you for doing that. Give yourselves a hand for that this morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Pastor Sheldon Miles. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome all of those in the 715 and beyond who are watching online. We're so excited that you've joined us. I'm seeing some faces I haven't seen in a while this morning. It's so good to see you. I just want to say welcome home. Welcome home. And I just want to, all those who are watching in the 715, uh, we're, we're glad that you're watching online, but we just want you to know it is better in person, right? Is it better in person here? Be testimony, right? It's better in person. Please respond if you. that's a good thing. There we go. So... You, you, before I get into my message, you may have noticed it, like it's just something different this morning. So uh, you need to be aware of this. Uh, we we talked last week of how our teens and our youth leaders came back and just had an awesome experience uh, at youth camp. And many of you made that investment in a lot of our students to go. So thank you. Uh, so, but we discovered later in this week that not only did they come back from camp having a good time. But they came back with a little bug. There's kind of a little bug going around. I don't know if you've heard about that little bug. Uh, and so we had five of our youth leaders who were going to be leading in worship this morning and working in the back. And then we had two other worship leaders who were exposed to those youth leaders. And that's why they were not worshiping with us this morning. Uh, and just only one student. So I just, I, I just say that to tell you we have some true servant leaders in our youth ministry. And if we could just pray for them this morning, can we just do that right now? Lord, we just we thank you, Father. You are a, a wonderful, gracious God. We thank you for the baptisms that take place this, this morning. I thank you for the servant leaders who are in our youth ministry and are just awesome youth. And Lord, as they're kind of recovering from their sickness here, we just pray that you would come with healing in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. Because Jesus changes everything. Lord, there's a couple right now that is grieving because of a loss of a loved one. And I just pray that you would be with that couple and their family today in Jesus' name. We invite your presence to be here. Speak to us. We pray that your voice is the loudest voice in the room. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to encourage you to follow along in the sermon notes this morning. I just think you get so much more out of the message when you, when you follow along in, in the sermon notes. So we are, we've been talking these past few weeks about the mission and the vision and the values of this church. And I know, I know some of you who you, you've sat through this series, you're like, aren't you being a little repetitive? Yes, because this is the part I really, I want us to get it. I, 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 because this is who I, I just believe that God has called us to become. And to, and to change the culture. So your mission and vision and values, they answer the questions of who are we, why do we exist, what are we called to do, and what do we envision the future looking like, and how will we move forward. And so we have declared that the mission of this church, your mission today, if you choose to accept it, is you are called to lead people to become 
life-giving followers of Jesus. And, and we get this mission from, from the Great Commission. We get these from the words of Jesus. And we've just kind of a wordsmithed it and, and just brought it down to the, that's what it means. So what is a life-giving follower of Jesus? And I just believe it's this. When you look through the Gospels, you see that these disciples, they became both ministers and missionaries. They ministered to people's needs. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And they became missionaries. In other words, they, they got out of their box. And church, I'm, I'm going to tell you, sometimes if we are not careful, we can live within this Christian box that we create for ourselves. And if we never get out of this box, we're missing out on our mission. We are missing out on moments like this. Just get a vision for people in your world going through this experience. A neighbor, a friend in your workplace, a relative. Get a vision of somebody who does not know Jesus. Get a vision and ask God to give you an opportunity to pray for somebody and then to pray with somebody to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The bottom line is the mission of this church is discipleship. And discipleship is when you take and when you help lead a person through relationship with them, you lead them into the steps of their faith. And we've, we've put up this faith graph here, and we've been using that here the past few weeks, and we've said that there's a lot of people who are in the none stage. In other words, they want none of this. <laughs> they want none. Don't talk to me about God. I, don't, I want none of it. But then, we, then there's people who have moved out of that nun stage, and they're in that phase where they're maybe seeking, and they're looking for answers, and looking for direction in life, not sure what they're looking, but they're seeking for something. And then one day, one day, as Tara, Tara I believe you expressed to us just a month ago, you made the decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And, you, and I call these people newbies. I love newbies, right? Do you remember your newbie days? You were just so excited. You just you couldn't get enough of the Bible. I mean, you just you just you wanted more and more about God. And you're like, oh, why didn't I do this earlier? And then as you as you move out of the, the newbie stage, you move into the maturing stages. And this is when you become a student and you begin to grow. We're going to be talking about growing here in a few weeks. And then and then you become what we are all called to become, life-giving followers of Jesus. And this is the stage where we, we, dis, we discover, wait a second, this thing that God has given to me, the gift of his Holy Spirit, it's not meant for me to keep to myself. I've got to share it with the world. And we, as a result, we envision, we envision Thrive Church becoming this church that the, light, uh, that the disengaged of the 715 are looking for. The disengaged, what is that? Well, we, we, we know that we, we live in a culture, and many of you, maybe you've been in that place before. You have friends or family, people. I have talked to so many people in this community, and, and they start off the conversation when we start talking about faith. Yeah, I grew up in the church, but... We, we know the rest of the story. And what they're communicating is, I grew up with a knowledge of God, and that's all I have. And it just wasn't enough. And 
I don't know, I, I lost interest, but yet there's something that's pulling me. There's something that is, that's, that's speaking to my heart each and every day. There's something there. The disengaged. They have a knowledge of God, but not a relationship with God. So, so, but I envision, I just believe that God, when, when the church lives out its values, which I've been talking about here the past few weeks, that becomes the church that the disengaged are looking for. Because I, in my conversations, I, I found a lot of people that are looking for answers. They're looking for answers, but they'll say to me, I, one of these days I might get back to church, but I will not go to that church. I will not go back to that church. But they're looking for a church. And when I, again, when I say looking for a church, I'm not talking about a Sunday morning experience. I'm talking about his people. Can you just look at your neighbor right now and say, he's talking about me. The pastor is talking about me. In front of other people, he's talking about me. So I believe that a church like this lives out its values. What are our what are values? Values are beliefs put into action. Values are the beliefs that are put into action. This is what we, we declare. This is who we will be. This is how we will do our ministry. This is who we are. And it determines our priorities. And what it does is values over time, it creates the culture of a church. You know, all of us have culture. You go into some people's houses, and you're like, it's Packer memorabilia everywhere. Well, that's kind of the culture of the church. And some of you, you still have plastic on your couches and on all of your furniture, and that's the culture of, of your house. And, and some people just got these glaring personalities. Are you going to a restaurant and you're like, I will not go back there again? And you go to, to another restaurant, and this food is not the best, but I love the atmosphere. That's the culture. And so a church has a culture. And, and so values shape the culture. And so we have said of Thrive Church, the number one value that we will have is we will be spirit-led. In other words, we will be a church that passionately pursues and humbly follows the Holy Spirit as our leader for living. We are going to be spirit-led. We're not going to be pastor-led. We're not going to be board-led. We're going to be self-led, but we're going to put the Spirit out in front. We're going to try to do our best and all that. We're going to be, number two, we're going to be mission-driven. Jesus' mission on earth is your calling. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. We are going to be, last week, I love this one, we're going to be people-loving. We, as a church, we will love people in the same manner in which Jesus loves us. He sets the standard, doesn't he? The standard is pretty high. And the same way that he loves us, we're going to do our best to love not only the people in this building, but all of those hundreds of people that have just driven by in the last 15, 20 minutes to drive by this building each and every day. The people who are next door to you, the people who work next to you, we are going to be people loving. We are in the people business. You know why we're in the people business? Because God is in the people business. Today we're going to talk about being servant-hearted. And again, in a few weeks we're going to talk about our last one, being growth-minded. So are you ready for this? Servant-hearted. Servant-hearted. said this last week. Your love in action is the evidence of your faith. 
Your love in action is the demonstration of your faith. So if you want to just know where somebody is in their faith journey, just watch how they love. Just watch how they love. And that just reveals where they are in your faith journey. I read this, uh, this research article the other day. Did you know that research reveals that being servant-hearted can make you happy? If you have a servant heart, did you know, it actually, there's a chemical thing, and there's a, they, they, almost like a, is there any runners here, people who like to run? Okay, I, I used to get into running, I get, ran a couple marathons, and there really is this thing called a runner's high. Any, anybody, how many of you like, that just makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> like, runner's high, that always brings me down when I go running. So, but there is such a thing as a runner's high, and you're just, it's really kind of a cool experience. They say that when people will volunteer to serve, and they are helping others, that people will begin to experience that same running high. I just believe God has created us to serve. I believe we are saved to serve. Just look at your neighbor and say, I'm saved to serve. I'm saved to serve. Not only this, but they say that it helps you live longer. They say that a high stress life can shorten your life. But a life that gives and a life that serves and they begin to experience those, those chemical reactions, it actually enhances your life. Just like yesterday. So proud of this church. I'm look, kind of looking around and I see so many of you who I saw yesterday at this event that we do once a month, maybe you've never heard of it, called Ruby's Pantry. And Ruby's Pantry is where, where we have uh, this food that is given to us through this organization called Ruby's Pantry. And our mission is to give it out. And there will be hundreds of people who will line up on the, on the outside of the gymnasium. And we will come and we will serve these people and we will load their cars with these groceries. And it's just an awesome feeling. And, we, and yesterday was hot and it was a little bit sweaty. Right, Jerry? Just a little, and, it, and it's not always easy work. But it's that kind of work that when you go home, it just it feels good. Jerry, did you feel a runner's high yesterday? Yeah, you had a runner's high yesterday. You like I ran 20 miles. <laughs> and so we've declared this as our value statement. As a value statement for Thrive Church, we will joyfully serve others to add value to their lives. That's what we're declaring to you today. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do? We talked a little bit about this last week, and we know that we, there's a, this statement, it's called the, the Great Commandment, that we are called to love God, and I, and I think that's what we demonstrated this morning when we're, when we're clapping and we're worshiping and just throughout our day, we're just like loving and experiencing, growing in God, but we're also called to love God people, and we talked a little bit about that last week, but really, love is demonstrated in your actions. And so, if you're asking the question, what does God want me to do? God wants you to serve. Let me demonstrate that for you. We're going to look at a story here in John 13, 1 through 17. It's a powerful story here. Jesus gives to us a demonstration of what he wants you to do. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm looking for what does God want me to do, pay attention to this story. So this story is found, it's on the evening before the crucifixion. 
And Jesus is gathered around with his disciples, and they are having a meal together, and they are celebrating the Passover. And Jesus knew this. He's, I mean, just imagine sitting there in this meal, knowing the next day that you will be tortured and you will be crucified in a horrendous way. He knew that he would be betrayed by one of his disciples that he's been with for some time now. And, and just imagine the emotions going on. I just know my mind would be so preoccupied. However, Jesus does it differently. He had spent three years teaching these disciples on what to do, what to say. And now he's going to give them a demonstration of what that looks like. So it says here that Jesus then got up from the table and he took off his robe, and he, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to pour water into a basin. And he did something that just, it must have just blown, and to us, we've heard this story maybe so many times, so it's like, oh, well, that's kind of odd, but it's all right. But in that culture, I'm telling you, they just must have been blown away. No, 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 Jesus, no, 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 no. Because washing people's feet back in those days, it was, first of all, a super nasty job. And people were walking around in sandals all the time, and there's sweat, and there's dirt, and there's mud, and it's, it's fungus. It's all kinds of things going on there, okay? It's, it's athletes. It's, yeah. This was a job, though. It was part of the custom that when you would come down and come to somebody's house and recline, that a, and we're talking the lowliest, the lowliest. So if you were the low person on the totem pole, or you were in a lot of trouble with your boss, that was your job. We're, we're talking the lowest. The lowest. If we have people here who that is, that's where you are in your workplace. You, you, so you know what I'm talking about. Like Remember starting at the very bottom. This is the very bottom job. And here we have the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he gets down on his knees, which again, culturally, what, 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 what are you doing? And he begins to wash their feet. You just cannot grasp how humbling this is. A totally humbling position. And then Jesus gets up and, he, and then he says to his disciples, and they're, again, they're just, what just happened there? It says in verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down. Do you understand what I was doing? And I'm sure they just blurted out, no. <laughs> no. What was that? Then Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord. Many of us here today, that's how we would refer to Jesus. I had in my prayer time this morning, as many times, Lord, Lord, and Lord, and do this, and, and Lord, help me. And so I referred to the word Lord literally means boss. It means leader. You are my leader. I listen to you and to you alone. It's, it's, it's really what it means to be spirit-led, to have Jesus as Lord of your life. So you call me that, and you're right, because that's what I am. I am Lord. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
Now I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. So again, if, if we're sitting here today and we're asking the question, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Jesus' answer to each and every one of you who is asking that question today is, do as I have done for you. Do as I have done for you. He taught the disciples about love, and then he humbled himself, got down on his knees, and then he says, I'm going to do more than talk about it. I've got to demonstrate. You have got to feel this. You have got to experience this. And then he instructs his disciples, now you go out and do the same thing. Everything that I have taught you. I want you to take those teachings, and as you approach people and you work with people, I want you to do it with a servant's heart. I want you to be servant-hearted. Now, this was, Jesus was challenging them with their paradigm. And the word paradigm is, is, is ba- a paradigm is how you view the world. It is your viewpoint. And if you grew up in the south, your view, your view, how you view the world is very different than if you grew up in the north and the midwest. So we understand a paradigm. Another example of this, uh, of a paradigm, is I, I work with a lot of the firefighters here in, in the city of Wausau. I've worked with them uh, in the past. And there was kind of this mindset. It was kind of, an, they called it an old school mindset. And the paradigm was that if you went into a, a tragic car accident or a terrible fire and, and you were just really affected by it, the, the paradigm, the, 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 how you dealt with it is that there you would just say, hey, suck it up, buttercup, and just drink it away and just ignore it, just put it in the back of your mind. Well, once they discovered that a lot of firefighters were committing suicide, in fact, there was more, there's more firefighters who die of suicide than active duty death. They discovered something's got to change. And so they needed to change their paradigm. And now, now there, there are systems, there are there is counselors, there's, there's chaplains who work with people, and, and now they're not afraid to approach these issues. So, so again, changing the, ter- the paradigms. Well, the typical paradigm for, for this type of, of understanding that they had here, they had kind of a top-down leadership thinking here. This is kind of a leadership lesson here we're talking about today. And so they looked at Jesus, and he was the very top. And the very top, the, 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 the typical understanding of a leader is, I am the boss, do as I say. Now, I, 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 don't raise your hand. But some of you, how many of you have that boss? Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to get in trouble. But you might have that boss. How many of you are that boss? Just, just kidding. All right. But Jesus challenges the paradigm. Because that really is our typical way of thinking of leadership. No, 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 let me do it. You don't do this. You don't get down on your knees. I do that. I, I, I. So Jesus challenges the, the paradigm. He says this in Mark 10. He says, whoever wants to be a leader. Now, a leader is somebody who has influence. If you want to have influence with the people in your world, you want it to be, we all have influence, okay? If you want to have positive influence with the people in your world, you must be your servant. You must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. 
Now, Jesus is addressing this problem that the disciples had. In fact, the disciples were even arguing, hey, like when Jesus really becomes the king of Jerusalem, like who's going to sit closest to him? Like where is my table seating going to be? They were arguing about these things. So Jesus is trying to change their paradigm. He's trying to change this morning our paradigm of what it means to be a leader. Because a godly leader is a servant leader. Someone told me this years ago, and I think Jesus said this is what he's trying to say. If you want to be a great leader, if you want to be a person who has great influence in your world, okay? That's, that's you this morning. You want to be a great leader? Raise your hand. If you want to be a great leader, Jesus is telling us if you want to be a great leader, first learn how to serve. Learn how to serve. Servant hearted. In verse 45, Jesus proclaimed about himself. He said, you know what? Even the Son of Man, talking about himself, even I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, here we have the King of Kings. Now, just imagine the King of Kings. And he humbles himself, and he comes to earth he, in the lowliest of all places, born in a barn, born in a stable, living his life on the streets, homeless, living this life, spending time. I mean, he, he gets this ragtag bunch of disciples, and he starts investing. And this is a squirrely bunch. And he starts investing in them. And then he gets down on his knees, and he washes their feet. And then the very next day, he surrenders himself to be crucified on the cross to pay the price for your sins, for the sins of the world, to bring life change. All of this so that he could change the world. How many of you have ever noticed that servanthood truly changes the world? Acts of service changes the world. Jesus was teaching, and if you get anything out of this message, here's my point. If you want to change the world, you have to serve the world. If you want to change your world, you're going to have to first serve your world. What is a servant? What exactly does this mean? A servant is one who responds to the desires and needs and the commands of another. They respond. And they do something. They don't just sit there and watch. I'm going to do something. I'm going to minister to this person's felt needs. And to, the word serve is to attend to someone's needs. So since we know that serving others changes the world, then how can we improve our serve? That's what I want to talk about here the rest of this message. How can you, now that we know that serving changes the world, how can we make it that much better? Here we go. Follow along in your notes. First thing that you need to do if you want to be a great servant, you need to surrender your life to God. First thing you need to do is surrender. Now, when you surrender, you are giving up the fight. No more are you running from God. You are running to God. And you are choosing to trust him instead of yourself. Listen to what Jesus says here. This is so powerful, this passage here. Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, If any of you 
wants to be his follower. Anybody here want to be follow Jesus this morning? And just raise your hand if you want to be a follower of Jesus. You're just saying, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be better at that. If you want to be that, then you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, right here, just quickly here, you've got to give up self. You've got to take up his cross, and you've got to follow up. You've got to give up. You've got to take up, and you've got to follow up. The life of a Christ follower is a surrendered life. The life of a Christ follower is a surrendered life. And here's some of the things that you're going to have to surrender. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to have to, follow, you're going to, have to surrender your pride. You know, what I, you know what my pride is? You know what my pride issue is? If I can just be real with you. I, when, I, when I go before the Lord, and, and I'm giving him these prayer requests, and, and I'm, I'm trying to tell him how I want him to do it. And, and then I begin to get into, like, when I want him to do it. And then I get into this thinking, like, what if he doesn't do it the way that I want him to do it? And maybe you have these, these prayer conversations with God, dangerous conversations. <laughs> but, I, but, but pride, surrendering my pride is like, okay, God, not my will, but your will. And that's the second thing, is, is that when we surrender, we need to surrender our will. You know what my will is? I have these dreams and I have these visions, and I hope and pray they are from God, okay? But when I surrender, I have to say, and again, this is in the Lord's Prayer, the most dangerous prayer you can pray, so be careful when you pray. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're going to pray, Lord, your will be done. When you surrender to God, you're saying, not my will, but your will be done. Are you ready for that? Because that's what a surrendered life does. I heard somebody's talking this the other day, and said, "What if, what if, what if we stop praying, God? God, stop. Sometimes we pray, God, bless what I'm doing. God, can't you see that I'm doing this work for you? God, bless what I'm doing. And and the challenge was, what if we started to pray, God, show me what you are doing, and show me my part in it." That's a surrendered life. God, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever part you want me to play, that's what I will do. A surrendered life surrenders their control. <laughs> and again, <laughs> Michelle and I kind of joke about this. We had sabbatical about five years ago, and we just went on this road, road trip across the United States, 6,500 miles. Your pastor might be a control freak. Because, Michelle, how many miles did you drive of that 6,500 miles? Yeah. She's a great driver. She's a great driver. It's just, ah. And when we surrender, we're saying, okay, God, you take the wheel. I'm not talking literally, okay? <laughs> but I'm talking, God, you, you lead the way. And it's surrendering our expectations. Let me give you an example of this. So you guys know about my, my hissing and my moaning here that I had that shoulder surgery here. And somebody was making fun of me the other week, and it was kind of funny. Um, but I injured my shoulder. Two and a half years ago, I injured my shoulder. And for two years, two years, I tried to fix it. I mean, I'm doing all these stretches. And you know what I was doing in those two years? I was making it worse. I was making that tear get bigger and bigger and bigger. So when they did the x-rays and everything, they said, you got about that much left, all right? Are you still going to 
you're going to fix it yourself? Is that how it works? But each day it got worse. And you know how I just, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got tired of the pain. It was not only my shoulder, it was in my back, it was in my neck. I would wake me up in the middle of the night. And still, for two years, I didn't want to see a doctor. I can fix this myself. I'll just stretch it and I'll do this exercise. Until one day, I said, I surrender. And I surrendered my pride. And I visited the doctor. And I knew what the doctor was going to tell me. You just need to do a little physical therapy and we'll get it all better. So I surrendered and I wanted to visit the doctor. Well, the doctor told me it was a little bit different. It was, it was just more than just a little tear. It's got, we got an issue here. We need to fix it. So what I needed to do is I needed to surrender my will. It was not my will to surrender all those months and, and a sl- weeks in a sling and all that. Is there anybody feeling sorry? I do not see any empathetic looks out here this morning. I am not seeing it. But I needed to surrender my will because, again, my way was making it worse. And I had to surrender my control. I had to show up on that January morning at the hospital, and I had to take off and put on the gown, and I had to lay down on the table, and I needed to trust that doctor. By the way, I prayed with him. I said, give me your hand. We're praying. We're praying. I had to surrender my expectations because I thought that I was going to wake up and I'm like, all right, guess a few weeks of therapy here and I'll be as good as new. <laughs> I'm still, seven months later, I'm still, still. So that, that's my gimpy handshake there, okay? So, but in order for healing to take place on the inside, I needed to, ch- in order for it to take place on the outside, I had to, I had to change on the inside. I had to surrender. I'm a new man now. And, and you know what my question is? You know what the question is now? Now that I, I, I'm, I, I feel great, I really do. I don't have all that pain. I'm not waking up in the middle of the night. You know what my question is now? Why didn't I do that earlier? Why didn't I do that earlier? Why, did, why didn't I just surrender earlier? Second thing that we need to do is if we're going to change our world, we have to serve our world. We have to submit ourselves. The word submit means to give up something valuable for something that's greater. To give up something valuable for something that's greater. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we've heard this passage before, that we're called to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So when you submit to God, you are choosing to trust him and not so much on yourself. You're you're choosing to walk by faith. You're you're choosing to submit all of your ways to him. But how many of you realize when you have done that, when you have followed this principle, you have seen God showing up in incredible ways? Submission is an attitude. Submission is an attitude of the heart, and it's demonstrated through our actions. Let me give you an example here. So Michelle and I, uh, we just did this this trip as kind of a... uh, a missions convention with an organization called Convoy of Hope. And so we, we ate at a lot of restaurants, and I found there was three types of restaurants, three types of restaurants. First of all, there was the restaurant that was short-staffed, all right? 
And, and, and these were, and when you go in this restaurant, you're like, hey, sorry, we can't serve you right now because we're short-staffed. What that was telling me is the people who were not coming in to work were saying, I don't want to. They were just, I, I don't want to. And that's kind of an attitude. So then we would go to a different restaurant, and this was kind of the, I don't know, maybe, a, have you ever been in a restaurant It's kind of a selfish atmosphere? You have somebody who comes up to your table, and, and they're, you're not going to help you, da-da-da-da-da. And what they're really communicating is, I have to serve you, but I don't want to. I have to. Because bo- I get in trouble, I'll lose my job, but I really don't want to. And, and that, again, that's, that's not submission. Submission is this. Have you ever been to another restaurant where, and we went to this one, and uh, they, they kind of got our pizza, pizza, pizza wrong, and, you know, it's, you know, I think it's fine, it's not a big deal. Oh, my goodness, did they go af, out of their way to just take care of us. And this is the attitude, the submitted attitude that says, what can I do for you? Is there anything else that I can do for you? Because we're going to have to submit ourselves. We're going to have to surrender to God. We're going to have a servant's heart. We're going to have to surrender to God. And we're going to have to submit our ways to him. And I have found that the greatest way that you can submit yourself is to take up your cloth, your towel, and to serve others. Number three, how to make your serve matter. We said we're going to surrender to God, we're going to submit ourselves, number three, we're going to serve our world. We're going to serve our world. Listen to this passage. This is a really, a really interesting passage. It says, First Peter, God has given each of you a gift. Just look at the person next to you and say, I am gifted. I don't know if you know this, but I am gifted. He has given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Each of you have been gifted by God. He's given you a gift. He's given you three things. I talked about this last week. I'll bring it up again. The number one thing that God has given to each and every one of you, I know this because you are alive right now. You are still breathing, I hope. Some of you might be sleeping, that's all right. But you're breathing, so you have been given the gift of time. And God has given you the ability to choose what you do with your time. You have been gifted with your time. You've been gifted with a talent. I'm looking around some of this room. I look at Aaron Moss. Man, he can fix trucks. He can fix cars. He is Mr. Fixer. Me, I can't even fix a piece of toast in the morning, all right? And that is not my gifting. I'm looking around some of the other. I see some doctors. I, I see some people who just have these incredible gifts that I do not have. But if, but if I asked them to come up on the platform, they were like, no, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I don't want to do that. But each and every one of you has been given a gift, a talent. Number three, you have been given a treasure, and, and these are your possessions, not just your finances, but the, your, your, your finances, your income, the things that you possess. Let, and grasp this, what I'm saying to you this morning. All of these things that you have been gifted, God has given to you, understand this, they're not yours. They're not yours. 
God did not gift you to bless yourself. You have been gifted. If you get anything out of this message, get this. You have been gifted to give. Your gifts have been given to you by God to give. If you keep your gifts to yourself, that is called selfishness. But if you give your gifts to the world, not only, as I said at the beginning of this message, not only will you be blessed, but you yourself will be blessed. It's life-giving. I'm going to move forward here. We're going to move past the thing, uh, some of these thoughts here. Gandhi says this, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. So as I was talking about earlier, Michelle and I went to this missions convention uh, with this organization called Convoy of Hope. I had a friend who came and spoke on that uh, a few months ago, Mark Cox, and he talked about Convoy of Hope and what it does. And, and it all started with this man named Al Donaldson, who in the early 90s, he was a pastor, and he went on a mission trip to India, and he had this opportunity to meet Mother Teresa. Okay, Most of you recognize that name, the impact that she's had all around the world. And so she got to, he got to meet uh, Mother Teresa. And he said, Mother Teresa looked at me and said, How? What are you doing to help the poor and the suffering? And he says, I'm talking to Mother Teresa, man. You can't lie. <laughs> you can't lie, man. And he said, I, I don't think I'm doing much. I don't think I'm doing anything at all. And he says these words changed his life. He says Mother Teresa looked at him and said, everyone can do something. Everyone can do something. And so Hal Donison went back with that just, oh, oh man, oh, been given so much and what do I do with it? And he started a nonprofit organization called Convoy of Hope. You're going to hear more about that in November. You just, I just want you to listen for Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is like Samaritan's Purse. And we want you to know if there's ever like a, a big tsunami, a big hurricane, and you want to give, we're going to encourage you to give to Convoy of Hope through the church, and we're always going to give to that ministry. I'll tell you more about that some other time. But it, it has now evolved into a multi-million dollar uh, nonprofit organization that is literally impacting the world. I went on a, a, a mission trip with pastors to Haiti some eight years ago and just saw it, it is feeding thousands of children. They, they want to help these third world countries by feeding and educating these children so that they can kind of help get out of their mess. In other words, their goal is that one day they will not have to feed these children's grandchildren. It's impacting millions of lives because one man, listen to me, one man decided to surrender to God. His will, his desires, his ways. He's, he decided that I'm going to submit myself to his calling. And he decided to serve his world. If I could ask you guys to just turn up the lights for a second, I want to do something, all right? I want to illustrate something. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Everybody to stand. Remember, remember I was saying the body, the, the church, the Bible says the church 
is the body of Christ. So literally, it's like a human body, all right? Statistics tell us that about, that the typical church is run by about 20%, 20% of the people in the church. So this is what I, to, to illustrate this, what I wanted to do, I want this group right here, I want you guys to sit down. I want you guys to sit down. I want you guys to stay standing, and I want you guys to sit down. I would like maybe just the first two rows if you would sit down. Maybe 20%. 20%. In the typical church, a 20% leading. Can I, can I just ask you a question? If you had a choice and a doctor said to you, hey, we are going to take away 80% of your capacities, you, but you could choose whatever organs you don't want to be running, but we got to shut them down, okay? In order for you to live, we got to shut them down, which is nearly impossible. Which, which things would you choose? Which, which, which is more effective? What, what is the design that God has called us to do. Because again, as Mother Teresa tells Al Donison, everyone, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Everyone can do something. But you're going to have to surrender to God. And you're going to have to submit yourself. And if you don't know where to start, start with the person next to you and say, I'm going to serve my world. So Lord, I, I just want to pray for Thrive Church. And Lord, we're just kind of, that, that 20% thing, that doesn't exist here because this is a servant-hearted church. We declare that on Thrive Church today. We are servant-hearted. And Lord, we have decided that everyone can do something. And that's who we're going to be. So, Lord, make me servant-hearted. Make me your servant today, I pray in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today, and remember, it's, it talks with that surrender part. Maybe you have never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, and something is pulling at you. That's the Holy Spirit. He's knocking at the door of your heart, and he wants to come have a relationship with you and you can have that relationship with Jesus by just calling out to him can we just all bow our heads right now and we're almost finished here just say God if that's you if you, you want Jesus to come and live in your heart just say God I need you you need to be that desperate I need you those who are watching online I need you and God only comes in with an invitation. So we just say, God, I invite you to come and live inside of me. And the first thing I need you to do is to forgive me of my sins. And the second thing I need to do is submit my ways to you. And the third thing I'm asking of you to do is to change me from the inside out. I'm choosing today to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for his life-changing power. In Jesus' name. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, or you are in that class that we call the newbie, 
You're in that newbie phase. You've just became a Christ follower. We have a Bible, a New Testament Bible that is designed for you, and it tells you about the next steps, where to go from here. We got some awesome people back at the guest center. You just go back to them and say, hey, listen, can you give me one of those newbie Bibles the pastor kept talking about? And we want to bless you with that. Amen. God is so good. God is so good. Hey, this is Sheldon Miles here, pastor at Thrive Church, and I want to thank you for watching this video. And if it impacted you in any way, I want to encourage you to do three things. First, become a part of the Thrive Church family by subscribing and following us. Make sure to join us on our Facebook page every Sunday. Second thing is share. Share with your friends, coworkers, and the people around you. The final thing, consider partnering with us financially. If this ministry is impacting you, I would ask you to pray about what you can give to help us take this message to the entire 715. And as always, we want you to know that you are welcome, accepted, and loved here at Thrive Church. And remember, you were created to thrive. We'll see you next week.